0: All right. Well, thank you guys for coming out to Wednesday night. This is the best place to be on a Wednesday night, right? Right here in church. We live in a country that lets us do this. Not many people get to do this, so it is an amazing opportunity and privilege. And I take it as a huge opportunity and privilege to be back here. So thank you for that. Let's just pray, and we're going to dive in. So, all right, Father God, we just come before you today. We thank you, Lord, for this nation. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity We pray right now over every ear in this house, Lord God, that they have ears to hear, Lord, and hearts to receive. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that the words that come out of my mouth are your words. They're anointed and called and chosen by you. We thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody says? Amen. Amen. All right, just so a warning, I normally teach to like elementary kids, so class participation is highly recommended. That doesn't mean shout at me, just, you know, participation is very welcome. So um, I'm so excited about tonight. For those of you that don't know, um, I actually have a major in political science, so it is something that I am very, have a heart for that stirs very deep inside of me. Um, I was talking to Pastor about it earlier, and he says just basically I eat, drink, breathe, sleep this stuff, and that's the truth of it, but I do it with a biblical foundation. So, And that's what I've grown up in, and that's what I've continued to press into. So I'm just excited about this. And if you've been to my CWA meetings, um, we do a meeting. It's Concerned Women for America is what it's called. But uh, the first Saturday of every month, we come together, and we just dig into God's plan for this nation and what we can do to see that come out. And so um, if you've been to those, some of this you may have already heard. But just stick with me. There's some other things, you know, that you may learn today because I am very passionate. So I had to have notes because I could, like, talk about this probably till Jesus comes back. And then Jesus would come and talk to you all about it. So we could just keep on going here. But um, I just really want you all to purpose right now. You know, when we start talking about things like politics, it can become very easy to see it as a dirty word. Or a very, oh, we don't talk about that in church kind of subject. So I just want you all to purpose right now to, like Pastor said, have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today. And have a heart that's receptive. I'm going to come at this at a biblical standpoint. I'm not up here to talk about any current events that are happening right now or anything like that. I'm here to talk, or which platform I want to be representing. I'm here to talk to you about Jesus' platform and about the nation that was founded upon biblical principles and how we can see that come through. Um, When I was getting ready for this, I was reading a book by Andrew Walmack, and he had a statement in there, and I think it so pertains not only to tonight, but this subject in general. He says, Unlearning is often the most important part of learning. Wrong impressions, prejudices, and beliefs are obstacles in the way of learning. Until these have been removed... The teacher labors in vain. There can be no true and faithful learning about Christ when we are not ready to unlearn. To learn of Christ requires a willingness to subject every truth we hold to his inspection for criticism and correction. And that is so true when it comes to the things that we're talking about today. I want you guys to be prepared to unlearn some things maybe you have held true because... Let's face it, sometimes we've come into a lot of beliefs, especially about this nation, that we've passed down from generation to generation, or we've heard stuff, so we become very concrete in our beliefs. But we need to learn, when it comes to matters like this, to take those truths and those beliefs that we have, and to hold them up to God, and say, God, if this is not true, if this is not right, I want you to change it. I want you to fix it. I want you to shift it in me. And so I need you tonight to be ready to unlearn maybe a few things that you've maybe held about this nation. And as we learned on Sunday, in fact, pastor said, you know, ignorance is the doorway to Satan. And that is what this nation has held for so long is ignorance. We've been ignorant to some devices that the enemy has plagued, plagued this nation with. And so today I'm hoping that if we open those doors and bring revelation and light to it, that we can start seeing where the enemies tricked us in some ways, of some beliefs about this nation. So all of that, <laughs> just to say that I want you really just have ears to hear tonight. It is a touchy subject, and I'm going to do my utmost. And if you seem like I'm upset, I am not. As Pastor says, I'm not mad. Well, he's passed that trait on. I am not mad. <laughs> I am very passionate about this because I truly believe right here in the church is where we're going to see a revival for this nation. In the church is where we're going to see a shifting and changing that occurs in this nation. So we better put a scripture on before I just keep going here. So let's, this is our starting scripture today, and it's Psalms thirty-three twelve. 12. It's a scripture we've all probably heard many times, especially if you've been in this house very long. It says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. How many of you want a blessed nation? Amen. Amen. Yeah. The people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Did I give you a different translation on that one? Yes, the Passion Translation. This is probably the best translation I have found just to dive in deep to the word. And it's the Passion Translation. And it says, Blessed and prosperous is that nation who has God for their Lord. They will be the people he has chosen for his own. Now again, Would you like to say America is a blessed and prosperous nation? Would you like to say, yes, my country is that country, the blessed and prosperous nation? But it is contingent on that second part of that verse, whose God is their Lord. If we want blessing and prosperity in this nation, we have to have God as our Lord. Now, us as good little Christians and good little sheep, we all say, oh, yes, amen, that is right. And since God may not be Lord of every area of our nation, that is why we see destruction and chaos in this world. Well, I'm here to show you tonight, we're going to take a little journey through history and see how we came to the place we currently are and kind of go through a little bit of maybe the problems we now see. But then we're going to take a step and show how we, as individuals and we as a church can rise up and become the solution to getting us back to being a blessed and prosperous nation, getting it back to the place where God is the Lord over every area of this nation. So are you guys ready to take a little journey with me? (laughs) All right. So um, for those of you that don't know, I spent um, some time in Texas, and I was um, working and interning for a man named David Barton. Um, If you don't know him and you like history, I would highly recommend getting to know that man's name and digging into all the stuff. He is probably, I would say, the best historian, biblical-based man that I've ever met. And he is so knowledgeable, both on the Word of God and on the history of America. And while I was there, I got to experience a whole new level of what our founding fathers were like. You kind of got immersed in it because as I was there, I was holding documents that Benjamin Franklin and that um, just different individuals of our nation had written. And their signatures were on there, and I'm sitting there holding it. So it becomes very clear really quick. You know, when we hold the word of God, it becomes very evident there is a God. I've got proof. Here's his note to each one of us. Here is his word to each one of us. Well, when you hold those documents and you see those signatures, you know oh, this wasn't just a story my teacher was telling me. This is true. This person actually existed, and this is what happened in this nation. So I am going to maybe kick over some sacred cows as far as the founding fathers are concerned because I've read their documents. (laughs) So some of the things that we have put in our minds as truth, I came to find out even though I went to a Christian school, even though I went to a Christian university, there were things they were not telling me that were actually true. For one thing, for sure, all of our founding fathers were Christians. They were all Christians. You can throw whatever kind of word in there you want, but the truth of the matter is when you read what they've written, they all believed that there was a God that was leading them in building this nation. There was a God that was telling them how to structure a government system to work. And for those of you that don't know, America is the only nation that has had only one government system, one form of government Every other nation has either had multiple or collapsed. Some every two years have a new system put in because they can't find one that works. We found one that works because it was founded on the word of God. So when the founding fathers were setting up this nation, they, um, many people see it as just a government system is the best way I can put it, I guess. But it was just laws and rules. That's what they were setting up, laws and rules for this nation, things to govern this nation to make it a better place. But truth be told, and I've labeled this message called the two pillars of America, because there was really two things they were setting up. They were setting up a church, and they were setting up a nation government system. And they believed fully that one could not work without the other, that they have, the best way I say, I have two pillars here. And they are level and even. And because they're level and even, America can firmly find a foundation on top of them. Now, we sometimes today can say, well, how come this is happening, this is happening? Because one of those pillars tries to get off balance. And it throws all of America and all of us off balance with it. So when our founding fathers set everything up, they saw two pillars. America, and they actually got this originally from God, and we can see that, I'm not going to turn to it right now, but Exodus 18, and in that Exodus 18, we see um, Moses is striving. He just got the Israelites out of Egypt, and he is striving to rule all these people. And he's striving to figure out how to manage and control it all. At the same time, now think about it, as Moses, he was basically their president, their priest, their pastor, their go-to man for everything. Now, I can only imagine, (laughs) we have about 300, and we only hold one of those offices. (laughs) Can you imagine if you had over a million people coming to you for every single issue they ever had? All right, so this is where Moses was sitting. And when Moses is sitting through all this stuff, um, his father-in-law actually comes to him and says, you can't do this anymore. You can't do this anymore. You need to set up structures. And how you need to set it up, you need someone to structure the spiritual side and someone to structure um, the national side. So that's when we see God come in and he sets up Moses, basically, for terminology that we can use, as president to govern, get rule, order, and organize the land. And he takes Aaron and makes him a priest or a pastor, setting up these two structures. And then um, when we go deeper into it, we find out that God set up a third one. And this is one that we don't even think about as a system, but it was the structure of family. Man, woman, children, it was the structure of family. And the idea was this was the structure that fell under comfortably each one of these um, pillars but that was also the deciding factor of how each pillar moved and that's how God set it up and so we need to realize that when we're talking about America our founding fathers knew this they knew this stuff and so when they set up America they set up a structure of the church this is what the church will do This is what the government system will do, and it's going to be up to the family to decide what happens in the church and what happens in the nation. So, in other words, it is up to us as individuals how this nation lays out. So, when we start looking at this thing, um, we realize that, truthfully, there was not an argument or a fight between which pillar was better and bigger. There never was because the idea was that they were to work together to make a great nation. Now, let me explain this a little bit, maybe with examples to explain it better. Um, When we have, when they structure the government system, it was for protection, it was for, um, you know, in case of war, to keep guidelines, to keep rule, judicial system, all that was set up as government system. On the church side... It was set up to tend to the needs of the people, to um, keep people, the individual, the needs of the individuals safe and secure, to also bring guidance, though, to each individual. That was the setup of the church. So what their idea was, if we can keep people in the church, then they will vote accurately for the government system. And if they vote accurately for the for the government system, the government system will then, in will reply, will protect the religious freedoms of the church. And this is how it was structured out. They were to work together. So um, when you start reading through all this, you start looking at it and going, now that doesn't quite sound like the nation we currently live in. <laughs> how did we get from a nation where People were so, now I don't want to say Christian-driven, but church-driven. I mean, think about this. Church, there was nothing that happened on Sundays in these villages, and these cities, because it was Sunday. Nothing happened. People went to church to find out who to vote for. People went to church to learn what the moral code was for their living. That's where they went to find it all out. They didn't go to a government. They didn't say, oh, these are the rules of the land, so therefore that's my moral code. No, they said, I went to church, I read the word of God, here's the Ten Commandments, here's the morals for my life, and now because I've put those morals into my life, it is easy to walk out the national ruling and decisions because I'm ruled by this first. And that is how it was structured originally in this nation with all these individuals, and we've gotten so to the point where Now they're trying to take religious freedom. They're trying to, I have to fight for this. I have to fight for that. How did this happen? What's going on? And this is the part I'm going to tell you, decide right now. You will not be condemned whatsoever in your soul. Just just accept it right now. Okay, we are not going to, I'm not here to condemn or say anything. But what happened to the nation was the church lost its grip. The church lost its grip. And what happened was those pillars got imbalanced. And because of that, America started tipping a certain direction. And when it starts tipping, it may take a few generations, but ultimately the people of that nation will feel it. And that is what happened. So we're going through things. And when you start laying it out, and then you lay out biblical principles you know, it is so easy to see where the enemy gets in there. How many of you have heard of the Civil War? How many of you have heard of the Great Depression? How many of you heard of Vietnam War? and All these things that happened to this nation, all these things built up. And what they did was they caused a shift in this nation. Because when the Civil War happened, people were no longer able to support their local church. The Great Depression happens, same thing. We can't support our local church. We can't even support ourselves. What are we going to do? So the church was no longer getting support from the family unit. And when the family unit was no longer able to support the church, well, then, because there was an imbalance, the government system stepped in and said, we've got a fix for it. We have to find a fix for it. It's called welfare. It's called food stamps. It's called fill in the blank. (laughs) These were all systems that were put in into our nation because at that time the church was no longer able to do what they were called to do. They weren't, ever, they weren't able to care for the needy and the needs of an individual anymore because the family was no longer supporting the church. So when that happened, we released our grip on certain factors that we were originally called to run. Did you know originally the church was supposed to be in charge of any healthcare system. We were called to be the ones that took care of the physical and emotional needs of a person in this nation, not the government. Never was that pressure built into this block, into this pillar here for the nation. And because of that, now we've got such an imbalance. And do you know what we do instead? Instead of figuring out where we can get it back, we say, oh, Look at that pillar. It's crumbling. How dare it crumble? We're putting pressure on it. It was never meant to hold. We're putting things on it and expecting it to take care of it when really it takes a spiritual inner knowing to run and lead these things. Everybody wants to say, well, the welfare system is being abused and this is happening and this is happening. Do you want to know why? Because it was supposed to be led by a spirit-filled person to determine who really needed it and who really wasn't. When we see it that way, we can start seeing how this imbalance in this nation has occurred. This thing that's happened, but it's all because we slowly release. I am spitting. (laughs) What the heck? I don't ever spit like that. What in the world? (laughs) Anyways. Wow. All right. Anyways. We see this imbalance start occurring in America, and it wasn't originally the fault of one side or the other. It was supposed to be a temporary solution until we got ourselves picked back up, and then we could do what we're called to do. But instead of picking ourselves back up, we had this thing happen in us where we decided we kind of like someone else taking care of us, and we're good take, you know, just taking what we can, and it's all good, but then we get upset when the thing we're depending on wants to tell us how to run our lives, how to do this, and how to do that. We get upset with it, but yet we're over here saying, no, 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 don't tell me what to do. It's like going to your parent, mom, buy me all the clothes, feed me, do all this, but do not tell me how to run my life. That will not last very long. All right. It's like, yes, take care of my cars. Make sure I have food. Make sure my kids have food. Make sure all this stuff is occurring. But when you start telling my kid what they can and cannot do at school, we've got a problem. But what we need to realize, and again, no condemnation (laughs) on any of us, but what we got to realize is it's time for a shift to happen back. It's time for us to realize and not, no longer be ignorant to what the enemy has done and convinced us, oh, it's always going to be this way. Oh, it's always going to happen this way. You're just going to have to accept it. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse. Just accept it. Move on. Pray for Jesus to come back. Or we can say, no, this nation is the only nation that chose God, that chose to be set apart for God. And because of that, I believe that we can still be founded in the things of God. We can be a bright light in these end days. We can make sure that every missionary that needs to get anywhere can get anywhere. We can make sure that everybody that comes through our borders is taken care of and healthy and whole and feels like they've become part of the American dream. We can do this. And when we start seeing it that way, we can start seeing how to mobilize that shift back to the other direction. So we can become part of the solution. One of the biggest lies we've been told, and tell me if you've heard this statement, separation of church and state. Let me tell you something. It is not in one single founding document. That statement. And if you want more details on it, I did my college thesis on it. I've got 67 pages on it. You can read it for yourself. But let me tell you honestly, Where that statement came from was Thomas Jefferson wrote a letter to the Catholic Church, and he was not, what's the best way? He was assuring him that in no way would the state tell the church what they could and could not do. That is the only place that phrase is ever mentioned in American history. But somehow we've taken that simple statement and we've made a whole theology about it we've made that that's the whole thing oh yep separation of church and state no that's why I started by saying yes I'm a poli sci major and yes I'm still a Christian (laughs) because they can coexist especially in this nation they can coexist together and that's how they were originally meant to be so the separation of church and state was never meant to be our dividing line of, nope, there's the state, nope, there's the church. What it was saying was the state would never interfere with what the church was doing because the church was taking care of the people. And as long as the church kept taking care of the people, then we'll be good and we can protect the nation. That was how it was set up. It's kind of like this. We, as the church, come together And we pray for our nation. And in return for praying for our nation and those in um, authority, they protect us. We're giving them prayer and protection. They're giving us protection in a physical way. And that's how it was originally standpointed. When we start looking at all these different things, we see, like I said, how the enemy just got in there. I mean, he took a simple phrase out of a letter and now has convinced all of us that that's the way it should be. Is that a little bit odd (laughs) to anybody else? People at this time, when and the biggest shift we see is during the Great Depression, because everybody was in need. And I, okay, do I have to convince you guys the Great Depression was a thing of the enemy? Is that, oh, you got that? Okay. All right. So, the Great Depression, and people were no longer able to take care of themselves. But because we were founded on biblical principles, we knew the morally right thing to do. So the government system steps in to help out the people. The issue is we never fought back to get that spot back and to get that hold on it, to help the people. And so one of the best, clearest examples I can show you besides welfare system and stuff is – One decision was made, not that long ago. Let's take prayer out of schools. Prayer is not required. Let's take it out of schools. Okay, so they take it out of schools. By the way, it was voted in. Okay, voted in, no prayer in schools. Okay, the next year, the very next year, SAT scores drop. Over 50% in this nation. Drop. Well, instead of the church saying, hey, hey, we got to put prayer back in. Because as soon as we took God out of a system, it started failing. We got to put God back in. Instead, we didn't say anything. So the government comes in and says, common core, across the line. We're all good. Common core. Here we go. So we get this common core line across it. So instead of expecting people to rise up to a higher standard, we say, don't worry. We'll bring the standard to you. Okay, and if you are for it, great. But here's the thing then. Now we've got kids graduating high school that can't even write their name. All right, I went as a college double major. I walked in and tried at David Barton's to take a seventh grade test. From the 1700s, I failed. It was on history. I have a major in history. I should know this and I failed because the standard even for a college graduate was so much lower than what they expected a seventh grader in the 1700s to understand. That is the difference that we see now. But again, what happened? We released one little system of our world to the wrong pillar. And instead of us saying, hey, no, 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 give me that back, we now are upset because why can't my kids do this? How come my kids don't know this? How come? Because we gave pressure to the wrong pillar, and it's starting to crumble. And instead of us coming alongside and saying, okay, we'll take this. Nope, we'll take this too. Nope, we got this. Okay, we got it. We got it. Now we both can flow. We sit there and watch it crumble. So today, I want us to shift that thinking right now. We're going to shift it and start seeing ourselves as the solution. We have the solution inside of us. God is the solution for this nation. And the only thing that we need to realize is God is not going to come down and fix our nation. He's not going to come down and fix it. But what he's done is given each one of us the Holy Spirit inside of us to lead us and guide us on what we need to do as individuals and then look and then together as the church what we can do to see a shift and change happen that has never happened before that he can make things happen and shift and change in an instant how many of you know the last election God was involved and why was God involved because we start waking up going hey We know how to make this happen now. We know what we need to do. Let's get God going for us. Instead of complaining all the time about everything going on, how about we start praying about it and look what God did. He is all for us getting a nation back to where it's called to be. He is for us. And when we start realizing he is for us and he can work with us, then all of a sudden we realize things can shift and change. It doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to continue to crumble. We don't have to see this go on for generation to generation to generation. And maybe you think, oh, it doesn't affect me. It doesn't hurt me. It will hurt your kids. It will hurt your grandkids. It will hurt your great-grandkids. It will hurt your great-great-grandkids. You know, it will continue to deteriorate until someone stands up and decides that a shift needs to occur. So I believe tonight we're standing up. We're going to start seeing a shift. We're going to start seeing a change because we do have a solution. And the solution has been right before our nose the whole entire time. There is a solution here that helps us through every situation. In our CWA meetings on Saturday, we have been taking just the areas on which people vote, from immigration, love, um, taxes, all these things that people base their votes upon. And we find out what the Word of God says about it. Because if you start basing the way you vote, the way you talk, based on the Word of God, guess what happens? God gets involved with where your words go, with the way you vote. God gets involved and makes things happen for us. So, um, for us to be a solution, we need to start looking at things that we can do. Things that. You know, many people have, actually no, not many people have tried, (laughs) not many have tried this because we have accepted the lie that it is the way it is, and that my little vote's not going to matter, and no matter what I do, this nation's just going to crumble because darker and darker are the days. (sighs) That is so depressing. Especially for someone in her 20s still, it's like, you guys, we got some years to keep going here, okay? So when we start talking about solutions, there are some things I'm going to break down, and it's simple things. Things that we've probably heard in individual sermons and messages, not realizing it's the key to getting America back to where it's supposed to be. The very first thing is we are called to take care of others. We are called to take care of other people around us. Um, Kathy, can you put up Philippians 2, 3 for me, please? Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. We should just stop there and go home, because that's the answer. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Do you know what a shift it would be? If we no longer thought selfishly, well, I can't do that because I got to do this. Oh, I can't do that for her because that would take into my, oh, that would take into this time. I've already set aside for this and I was watching that marathon. Dang it, I can't do that. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. When we start living that way, all of a sudden you'll notice others around you, Their cares get taken care of. But also, if the people around you start thinking that way, they'll be taking care of you. It's not, we can see this stuff, when we say take care of others, you're like, okay, now I got to do this. 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 Stop thinking of it that way. Think of it this way. If all of us did it, if all of us in this room decide we're just going to take care of each other's needs, that means someone else has got your need. That means someone else has got your back. It's not just about, oh, I have to do this all by. Stop looking at yourself as an individual. We are called to be the church, and a church is a unified unit. That means all of us together working together for the single purpose of getting this nation back in so we can share the word of God and we can get out of here. All right? That is what we're called to do. It's not up to you as an individual to fix everything. But we have gotten this whole ambition of selfishness in us that no longer do we see us. We see me and my needs and my wants and what I have done for that person, and what I have done for that person and what I have done for that person. We need to start looking at it as a unit and we stop being selfish. But instead, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Did I give you another translation on this one? No? Okay. Then the next verse, Galatians 5.13. For you have been called to live in freedom. America. (laughs) You have been called to live in freedom. That is why this nation is so blessed, because God is into freedom. God is into it. My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. How true it is that sometimes we use this idea of freedom to mean I can do whatever I want. When truthfully it's oh, now I can serve others in any way I want. I can help others in any way I can. Did you know there's many nations that don't have that privilege? That if they see someone getting trampled in the streets, they can't even put a hand out to help them. And we see that as a Duh. But to some people, just to be able to go to their neighbor and help them when they're in need would be the greatest gift to them. But that's something that we've taken advantage of. The next scripture, please. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. If we're going to be a Christian nation, we got to be Christ-like. And some of you I do know, some of you I don't know. Some of you, I probably 20 years ago would not have saved you, but God did, and he forgave you. So ain't it the least we can do is forgive someone that cuts us off in traffic? Ain't it the least we can do to forgive someone who maybe is having a rough day and says something that maybe hurts our feelings? Ain't it the least we can do is be kind to one another. Do you know how quickly this nation would shift? How many problems, generational problems, would disappear if we just learned to do this right here? If we just learned to be kind to one another and not think of ourselves, but think of others first? Next scripture. I've got a lot of scriptures. I'm so sorry. Okay, therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, the reason I have so many scriptures here is because I want you guys to know this is not my ideal. This is God's idea. These are scriptures from the word of God telling us how to live our life. But what you need to realize, see, we might see this and we might get up here and have a good message about how to be love one another, be kind to one another. Not realizing if we would figure it out and walk it out, not just in here, but out there, this nation would shift and change. Your kids would shift and change. The kids around them would shift and change. Wouldn't it be nice to not have to go, oh, I shouldn't have my kid with that person. I shouldn't have my kid with that. Oh, he's going to school now. All this worry and stuff about it because we just know. Everybody's going to be kind and courteous to everyone. Think about the shifting and changing. You know, a good example of this about taking care of others is found in Acts 6 when they are. Um, so, he, what? Are you talking to me or are you no. just talking to yourself? Like Shh. <laughs> so, in Acts 6, we have Stephen there. And he, do you guys know why he got appointed and where he got? Because they needed people to tend to the needs of the people. Well, when we turn it around, realizing that is what Jesus called us to do. Now, here's the thing why would they stone a man that was just tending to the needs of people? Because the enemy hates it when you are tending to the needs of others, he wants you to be selfish. He wants you to think of me, myself, and I. He wants you to think of us four no more. He wants you to think that way because he knows if he gets a unified front coming up against him, there is nothing he can do. There's a reason it says one can put is 1,000 a thousand and two can put 10,000 to flight. I don't know what kind of math that is, but it's a lot. <laughs> All right? <laughs> There's no multiplication of that, you know, but that's what he's saying. Together is when you're going to get stuff done not when you are a single individual. The other thing which we've already kind of touched on is we need to walk in love. Walk in love. It is ridiculous that we have to stand up here at a church that is based on the word of God and tell you to walk in love with one another. All right, let's look at 1 Peter 4.8. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Okay, and this verse says fervent love. We can't even sometimes get y'all to the like zone, let alone love, and then fervent love. All right, but he's saying because we all are sinners, we've all fallen short. If you were perfect, you wouldn't be here, okay? So we've all fallen short, and it's only the love we have for one another that's going to cover that. Because if we keep pointing out, dragging each other down with, well, you know what you said to me last Sunday? You remember what you said to me on March 14th, 2000? <laughs> it don't work that way, people. People you got to realize that it's the love of God inside of you that's going to help the person next to you go to the next level. Yeah. And when you show love and realize, hey, we've all screwed up, we've all messed up, but I love you because God loves you, and God loved me, and because of that now, you are building that person up to a new level. And that's what we're called to do. Build each other up. And when you build each other up, all of a sudden, you realize we can get more done. Things start happening. So things start shifting and changing, not only in your house and in your neighbor's house, but in this church and then ultimately in this nation. It all starts with us right here. Um, next verse, please. Romans thirteen eight. 8. Oh, no one anything except to love one another. Now, we take this sometimes as don't get in debt financially, right? But imagine this. If no one had anything on you, and you owed no one an explanation, you owed no one a reason or excuse, all you owed them was to love them. And they didn't owe you anything except for the love of God. Think about how that would change. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Wait a minute. Love, law, they go together. They coexist together. Because the law will not work unless there are people that are walking in love and that have a moral system inside them willing to follow the law. Hate to tell you this, but people that break the law don't follow the law. Okay, it's that simple. If you don't have a moral compass inside you, you aren't going to follow the law. That's why there's so many breaking the law. But when you have that moral compass, which is founded in love, the love of God, that's when the law will then be not only safe, but the law will also be followed. Because you have an inner witness telling you what to do and what not to do. All right. Next scripture. What yeah. Let all that you do be done in love. Boom. Any other questions? Talk to Pastor Jerry. All right. Next scripture, please. All right. So we've been talking about love, but not many of us understand what love really is. So in 1 Corinthians 13, don't you love how Jesus just puts it out there for you? In case you didn't know, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. It does not parade itself. It is not puffed up the next one, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, it is not provoked, and it thinks no evil. That's what love is. That is the characteristics that should be used to describe each one of us. Not that we just put a blanket on love each other, but those specific things are actively working in each one of us. When we no longer seek our own, it's really easy to walk in love with people. When we no longer are rude to each other, it's really easy to forgive. All these things become so simple once we realize that these are the characteristics that we have been called to as Christians to walk out in our life. And not only to walk out, but to teach the next generation. That is a big key when we're talking about this stuff because it's one thing for me to sit here and tell you what you should be doing and how we should be acting and what we should be walking out. But then you gotta turn around and teach it to the next generation. And the problem we've got right now is we are trying to teach the next generation without walking it out. We're trying to tell them, now don't be rude. Don't be rude. But mom, you just cussed out the guy that just walked that way. That has not happened to me. I'm just giving you an example, okay? (laughs) But we need to realize that we have to walk these things out not only for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the next generation. Because I don't care how much you point at a kid at the next generation and tell them, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to do. If you don't walk it out and show them how to do it, they will not do it. The second they are out of your sight, they're not doing it. So you have to learn to get these characteristics inside of you and start seeing the bigger picture. I'm going to not be rude. Why? Because I want my children to know to not be rude because then the next generation will not be as rude. And then if I'm not rude, then that person won't be rude. And you start seeing it build and build and build and build, then all of a sudden it's not a big deal. It's not just, oh, me, I'm the only one not being rude. I'm the only one walking in love here. No, when you start seeing how it builds, And how it goes from you to the next group to the next outer circle. It's like throwing a pebble in a lake. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what we got to start seeing it as. It's us as a church. And when we get these characteristics working in us individually, it starts going out farther and farther until all of a sudden there's a shift and change. And we're not even sure how it happened. Because it just automatically shifted. Think about, here's a good one for you, how different the debates would look if this was an effect in each individual. (laughs) We'd actually have a debate (laughs) about something, all right? But that's what I'm talking about. We have gotten so far from it that this is the abnormal, not only in politics, but also in the church and in us individually. So when we start seeing the ripple effect that happens just from us making a small shift and a small change in our lives, it all of a sudden becomes the answer to America, the an answer to where we currently sit. Um, the next thing we, I want as part of our solution, and we talked about it a little bit, but we have to tithe and give. Oh, God. Um. Yes, our tithing and giving are directly correlated to the state of America. There's a reason God put it in the word of God. Because if there is no tithes and giving coming into the local church, how do you expect the local ch- church to support everybody's needs? We're called to become the health care system. How are you going to become the healthcare system when many churches can't even keep their lights on? When many churches can't even give to the own needs of the people inside their own congregation? When the big shift happened, what did I say? With the Great Depression stuff, it happened because the family no longer could give. When the family unit no longer could give time or money to this pillar, they both fell. So we as believers need to realize that our tithing and our giving to our local church is not just something, oh, the pastor's going to preach about that, and oh, no. It is something that's directly correlated to the success of this nation, to the success of your family. It is all directly correlated. Let's go to Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Pause right there real quick. This whole nation. He's talking to a small group of people at that part. But he's talking about, no, your whole nation is falling apart right now because you have decided to rob me of my tithes and offerings. You have decided to stop giving. And because of that, your nation is falling apart. Does it sound familiar? Let's go to verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that you will not even have room enough to receive it. What is he saying there? He says, hey, bring it in so that my house has food. What's he saying there? He's saying, hey, if you bring in the finances, we'll make sure there's food here, so when the needs start coming in, we have something to give them. I do not know how many phone calls we get on a daily basis of people needing something. Needs, wants, desires. And we can't do anything about most of them. Even though you'd love to, even though you've got a person crying for help on the other side of the line. Because we can only give out what we've received. Now, again, I am not, no, I am. I am telling you to tithe and give, as a matter of fact. But I'm not trying to be condemning. I'm trying to show you the bigger picture. This is not us trying to get our hands on your money. This is us saying, hey, this is correlated to the state of our nation. You want your kids to start having prayer in school again? Well, if you start giving and stuff Maybe we can see some financial shifting and changing. And all of a sudden, there's different people in the right positions. Because we're able to fund now the right person to go run for those positions. We're able to now help those people that want to, that feel called to be in that position. We can help them do that. And all of a sudden, we see a shift and a change. But remember, he said, "It's be, your nation has fallen because you've robbed him. That's how God sees it. That's how God sees it. The next scripture, please. Oh, I didn't. Uh, We can go to um, 2 Chronicles, please. Moreover, he commanded the people who dwelt in Jerusalem to contribute support for the priests and the Levites, that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. As soon as the commandment was circulated, the children... Now listen to this. This is the best part right here. As soon as the command was circulated... The children of Israel brought in abundance the first fruits of grains, wine, oils, and honey, and all the produce in the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. They saw this as that important. The law went out immediately. They went out to take care of it. Because they knew their nation would only be successful if they were following the law of the Lord. They saw that as a direct correlation. And think about that. We get upset When people talk about tithes and offerings, and they were excited immediately. Here's the key to our nation. Okay, let's do it. We'll be successful. Okay, let's do it. And that's what we need to start doing is realizing these are keys. These are not more rules on you. These are not me saying you've got to do this. You've got to do this. This is me saying, hey, here's the key, to the answer to America, the answer to get your nation back. Here's the key to make everything work. Here's the key to get your kids back to where you want. Here's the key to see success not only in your life, but in this state and in this nation. Here's the key for it. And we got to start looking at it like the Israelites did here. Did I give you another verse? Oh, um, pause on that. You can take that one off. Sorry. Um, A good example of this, and if you have not read it, I recommend, here's your homework for tonight. (laughs) Read Haggai 1. Because in Haggai 1, you see God is talking and he's basically telling them, look, you go to your houses, you go to your thing, and ev- you make sure everything is good and right for there, but yet you've not taken care of my temple. And that's what we need. And he's, he's really getting after him about it, about saying, how dare you go off and make sure my house looks this way, and this is how my thing is, and, okay, my family looks right, my this looks right. Everything appears good now, but then you haven't tended to the house of God? You haven't taken care of the house of God? And he's talking to him here, and, um, I mean, I just read it again today, and it just so speaks exactly. He's talking about how the state of their nation is in ruins just like his temple. And he's talking about how everything directly correlates with the state of the house of God. You want your family to look right, your house to be right, everything to appear right, start taking care of God, and maybe God then will take care of everything that's concerning your family. Not only your family, but your nation. It is a direct correlation that we need to start hooking together with. The next thing that we have to do as Christians, to be part of the solution, is pray for our leaders. Can you put up 1 Timothy for me, real quick? Most of all, I'm writing to encourage you to pray with gratitude to God. For all, pray for all men who, with all forms of prayer and requests, as you intercede with intense passion. And pray for every this is in the Bible, just saying. Pray for every political leader and representative. It's in the word of God. We are called to pray for every political leader. Now, let me give you a little clue right now. If you want to pray for your political leaders, can you go back to verse 1 for me real quick? I'm writing to encourage you all to pray with, what's that word? Gratitude to God. What's he saying? That means you can't one minute be cutting down our governor, our president, our representatives, our house, the laws they've passed. And then over here thinking you're going to pray and change things. You need to realize they are in their positions because they got voted in. You may not agree with it. You may not like it, but that is the case. So then what do we have to do? We have to turn around. I didn't say, it doesn't say with agreement. It says with gratitude to God. Pray for all men. So what's that saying? He's saying, look, I'm not saying you have to agree with every one of them, but I am saying you will pray for them with gratitude to me because it was my idea to set up a government system in the first place. So you pray with gratitude in your heart. And the only way to get your heart right is to stop back talking all of them i'm as guilty as anybody but i'm realizing if i want to see a change happen in my nation and through certain leaders that i do not agree with i'm gonna have to start getting my heart right and straight with them in order to pray accurately to them for them that is what we need to do in shifting our own hearts and i see it all the time especially in the church We get together, we start talking about things, and it becomes so easy to start complaining about it. That's why the first thing I said was, walk in love with everyone. Because you know what? No one knows the pressure those individuals are under. We can't even take it if somebody looks at us cross-eyed. They're writing stories about them and against them. They're telling lies about them. And we sit there, and we consider it news. Think about the pressure they're under. And instead of coming up as the church and saying, hey, I know you might not understand everything that's going on, but let me help you with my prayer. Let me start supporting you as far as praying for you as an individual. You know, loving someone doesn't mean you love their sin. Loving someone you means you love them in spite of the sin. And you need to remember that we are... Praying for an individual that God created, that God put on this earth for this time and this purpose. Maybe the devil got in there and tweaked a few things, but God still was involved in the creation of that person. And when we start seeing him as a person that God created, a sister, a brother in Christ, we start seeing, oh, I'm going to pray for you because you're under pressure right now. And when they start seeing that their support system is coming from the church, how do you think they're going to start shifting and changing? No longer are they going to, they're not going to want to take religious liberties out. Oh, I can't do that because they're the ones that are helping me. They're the ones that are supporting me. They're the ones that even though I keep messing up, they're the only ones not talking bad about me. They're not the ones writing the stories about me. They're not the ones talking bad about me. They're praying for me. Think about how their thinking would shift and change. Think about that. Hallelujah. And then, this kind of goes with it, but Romans 13, please. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't care, again, if you agree with the person or not. They have been been put in authority above you. So, Every soul, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority, let's not say no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. God set this structure up, and we are to be subject to it. Again, I did not say agree with everything, but you as Christians are supposed to line up and realize that the reason... There are some people in there that we don't agree with. It's because we chose to either not vote or vote them in. And because of that now, you don't get to just go, well, I didn't vote for them or I don't, and not be submissive to the rules that are now being regulated. That is why the prayer came before this. Because if you pray for them and you start seeing um, them as a different person, as what God sees them at, this part becomes easy. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. When God, when Jesus left this earth and sat down at the right hand of the Father, what did he do? He gave all authority to us. So what that is saying is he's given you the authority to vote in your leaders. He has given you the authority to make shifts and changes. He's given you the authority to do so. But the first thing he says is, be subject to the governing authorities. They are not going to listen to you if you are always go opposing them. If you are always back talking them and opposing them, they won't listen. Why would they? The next verse, please. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Next verse. For rulers are not a tear of good works, but to evil. We need to remember, rules were set up to oppose evil, not good. If they're opposing good, then somewhere along the church missed it. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do, you do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. In other words, if we continue to do what's good, What's right, so we are right with God, we're gonna have the authorities naturally line up according to the Word of God. That's how this works. It does not work with us trying to be the person that starts cutting everything down. That is not how you're gonna get answers in this nation. The very final thing, oh, I guess it's not the very final thing, but can you put Titus 3? It goes with this one a little bit. Remind people, this is why we are here today, because I'm reminding people to respect their government leaders on every level as law-abiding citizens and to be ready to fulfill their civic duty. What's your civic duty? Vote. It is time for the church to be the number one turnout for voting. It is time for the church to realize that if we want things to shift and change, you better put your vote in. And I've heard so many people so many times say, well, it doesn't matter. Do you know that there were things in Bend, Oregon that were decided by less than 200 votes? That's this church. So if 200 more people would have shown up in Bend, Oregon, some things would have not gotten passed in Bend, Oregon. Now, that's how close it is. But even in the word of God, he's saying every level. That includes your police officers. That includes your judges. That includes people that walk in authority in our cities, our city council, all those people. You are called to respect them. It does not say only if you agree. No, respect them. What is happening to our police officers right now is sickening. I'll put flat out right there. Because we've forgotten this. And because we have forgotten this church Things have started to shift and change, and now we're not even sure, and they're not even sure, and then we've got chaos, and there's bad on both sides, and we're not even sure what's going on because we forgot. We forgot to pray for them. We forgot to respect them because God put them there to hold rule and order in our cities. And because we forgot that, corruption came not only into into our side of things, but also into the police force. We opened the door. By creating and forgetting about what we're called to do. Can you put Proverbs 29.2 up for me please? Here is a very simple truth. When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. When the wicked man rules, the people groan. This is not just talking about when the righteous are in rule, the righteous rejoice. no. Even the unrighteous will rejoice. They don't know what they want. They don't know what they need. We have the answer. We hold it inside of us. The answer is God. And we hold it inside of us. And if we can get that in authority, no one will oppose it because it will work. When we start getting things working, there will be no opposition against it. From people. From the enemy, yes. But from people, no. Because everybody will rejoice. And the final verse I want to give you guys tonight is Psalms 2.8. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And the ends of the earth for your possession. Let me just tell you, we've prayed this verse. We've shouted this verse. We've called on God according to this verse. But he's given us keys to make this happen. And just praying this verse isn't enough because he's already given you keys on how to make it happen. And when this, this is my final thing, when this happens, there will be a shift. There will be a change. We as Christians have to be ready. You know, I've heard them say many times that when 9-11 happened, the floodgates of churches were open. People were coming from every direction, everywhere because they wanted an answer now think about that a terrorist attack drove people to church but what happened church wasn't ready for them. church didn't have an answer for them yet church didn't have the funds to help them yet so when this shifting chain comes you have to be ready we got to get ourselves ready it is time to get yourself ready. It is time to realize that you need to walk in love with everybody. You need to start tithing and giving. You need to start respecting and praying for those in authority because the shifting is coming, and you have to have the answer. If you don't have the answer, they'll go to the next thing, and then the next thing. You have to have the answer. You already hold it inside of you, but it's time to start getting it activated inside it, from inside out. You need to activate all these principles that God's put there for you. And when we start walking this out, it may not happen in a year, may not happen in two, but there will be a shifting that happens in this nation. Think about everything that's already shifted and changed in four years. Imagine four more, what can happen if the church gets an agreement and starts lining up with the word of God and what you've been called to do as a Christian and as a member of this nation. When you start seeing that shifting and changing, all of a sudden, you just got to be ready for it. But all of a sudden, this nation will not be something you recognize. And your kids and grandkids can grow up in the nation they were called to grow up in. A nation where they are allowed to take their Bibles to school and not just on Bible Day. They're allowed to pray over their food. It's welcome to talk about prayer and God and Jesus in their speeches. Where when you see someone in need, you pray for them first instead of just calling 911. Where there's a new level where this nation is first spirit-led. And then the ruling of this nation can work and flow like it's called to do. Um, Do you have anything you want (laughs) to say? I hope you guys got something out of that. But um, I just really want you guys to realize that America is not a hopeless cause. Whatsoever. And neither is the church. But we are called to walk out the principles that God has put in the word of God for us. To see it activate a new shifting and changing in this nation. And so um, thank you for listening to my spiel, I guess. Um, do you want to come up here?
1: Hallelujah! Thank you, Micah. Give the Lord another praise. Come on, everybody! <laughs> praise the Lord! Hallelujah! Watch y'all stand up and uh, pray over you and dismiss you. But good word, Micah. Good uh, challenge to all of us. Praise God! You know, I I think about every all three areas that she touched on, and every one yeah. of them. Well, all you think about all all of them open the door you know, for presence or the windows of heaven open or, I mean, so you think about that. If the church is empowered like they should be empowered and blessed like they should be blessed, I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? You know what I mean? And so, you know, when this nation started, that's why, you know, you know, other nations have even tried to do a same kind of government and it failed because they don't don't put the element of God in, in any of it. And so it completely just fails, and they're off trying to change it again. But uh, so there's you know, you know just so much, uh, you know, just about standing your ground and as a child of God, doing our part, walking in love, Amen. Being a support and give and and to pray and to show respect, Amen, to our leaders. And believe me, I've been guilty of that myself. Sometimes I'd rather never mind. Anyway, um. I know, because there's just some things that just you just get mad about. But when you stop and you think about it, people, somebody voted this person in. People, you know, whatever. And so we we got to own some of this. And uh, even though it wasn't your vote, and uh, but the same hand, if we got enough people turning out at the polls, and again, maybe that's a little bit of a on-the-soapbox thing, but um, I, I get grieved when I hear, you know, the majority of the church don't even go out and vote like, what? And then they want to whine about how it looks and what's going on and then say their vote don't count. But if everybody in the church would have voted, you'd been amazed what would have shifted just just in a couple years. Amen. And uh, our president has been willing to uh, be, uh, you know, to give place to the church and very adamant about it. Amen. Now, you may not agree with everything he does and says, but there's some things that that boy has just shook her loose, buddy, and he hadn't been afraid. I think that's one of the things I love about him the most. I just love his gutsy determination. You know, and but he has been very supportive to the church and uh you know, has reversed some things that has been against the church and in the same time signed some things that are for the church. And the idea is to give the church place cuz he understands the under uh, you know the principle, the fact that the, that the church has to be involved, and so you gotta you gotta give give some uh, uh, some honor there for that, and uh, so keep praying, Amen. Keep believing. So Micah, again, thank you very much. I appreciate your passion and and uh, your insight. So God's good, Amen. Amen. Father, we give praise and glory once again. Thank you for the words that we've heard today. Thank you for challenging us to go higher, step higher. Praise God. Challenging us uh, concerning our walk and. And the things we do and the things we say and and uh, Lord, just challenging us to step up when it comes time to uh, doing our part. Praise God and owning our part. And Father, we give praise and glory for that. I, I, again, I thank you that you uh, that we had an ear to hear and a heart to receive. And again, Lord, for uh, transforming our minds. Praise God to your uh, to your ways, to your thoughts. Praise God, and we give you the praise. We give you the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us for this message. We'd like to take this opportunity to encourage those listening from anywhere in Central Oregon to join us Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. for our regular services. We understand that many do not have a home church, and we can't emphasize enough the importance of connecting with a church family. We'd be honored to meet you and spend time with you, praising God.